holy. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful gift we realize that is to be holy in the gift of holiness, the power that God gives us to strive toward holiness, to, to move toward holiness, to move toward the image of His Son. What a beautiful gift that is. We're going to continue in the book of James. Last week we talked about being hearers of the Word. And if you remember from last week, James gave us some practical steps to be a hearer. Now those practical steps pointed us back to God. But it was just kind of a reminder. You remember we talked about you know, a time out and remembering the plan. And God has a perfect plan. A perfect plan that was empowered and put in place by the gift of His Son. But James laid out a plan of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we looked at the details of that last week. This week, we talk about being doers. And in our scripture today, basically, James basically gives us a warning. He gives us basically two options. He says, will we be deceived or will we be blessed? And that's what we want to look at this morning as we look at verses 22 through 27. If you look at verse, as you read verse 27, it's often been pointed out, and I believe, I believe myself, that it's kind of the, a summary of the book of James and the purpose of the book that James, the letter that James wrote. So we'll, again, we'll begin in James chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll be listening to the audio this morning. of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for this text this morning. Lord, we just pray for your guidance through our hearts, Lord, this morning as we seek to be doers who act, Father. God, give us the wisdom in the Scripture. Give us the ability in our hearts to search ourselves and to act on what you have taught us, to act on what you have written on our hearts, Father. I just praise you for your blessing. I praise you for your love to guide us through this this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, starting in verse 22... He says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be hearers and not doers only. And that's, we've we've talked about it since we started this book of James, that it's a very practical book. And we're getting into the meat of it now. And he's really talking about, you know, acting on our faith. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. What does he mean as we look at this verse of deceiving yourselves? And you see that we have broken the text down into being de- to the deception and the blessing. And what does he mean by deceiving yourselves? 
before we dig too deep into the deceiving ourselves, we want to really look at what it means to be doers. And James, in this text this morning, uses another analogy. He used an analogy earlier, but he, he uses another analogy this morning in trying to make his point. His analogy this morning involves a mirror. It involves looking into that mirror. Now, as I studied this, I thought this is kind of a stretch for a blind guy to relate this analogy this morning. And I had to think about my mirror. My mirror, actually, in preparing myself to be presentable when I come out in the public, is my wife and my four daughters. And the amazing thing about that is my mirror has opinions. <laughs> and as my daughters get older, I have multiple opinions. So it's okay, though. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, from the compliments I get occasionally, I, I think they do a fairly good job. So that's... I appreciate it. I tell everybody, they say, they say, well, you look nice. I said, thanks to my wife. So, trust me, if it was up to me. I actually debated this morning about not combing my hair and, and not shaving and just, you know, seeing what that looked like. But I thought I might scare you, so I decided that wasn't such a good idea. But, setting that aside, let's go back to James's analogy this morning. This morning, I assume, and I, I'm pretty sure that you all looked in the mirror this morning before you came. Well, what did your mirror show you? What did it expose? Maybe the men are looking a little scruffy this morning. you got maybe a couple of days' growth on. Maybe you looked in the mirror and you had a bad bed head, and that's normally my problem. I, my hair is just all over the place, and it needs to be tamed in the morning. Maybe you ladies had one of those unspeakable pimples that just had to be taken care of. James, in his text, says to look in the mirror, but often... It's been assumed that he's talking about looking quickly. These people just glance in the mirror, don't take time. In the ESV translation, in looking at the commentaries, going to the original language, the ESV translates it as looking intently into the mirror. Now, when you look intently into something, you're paying attention. You're looking at details. You're trying to figure out what's wrong. But wait, you know, as you look in the mirror, this, as you looked in the mirror this morning, maybe you were in a hurry. And actually, on Sunday mornings, you have a little more time than you do when you go to work. During the week, maybe during the week, you, you see these problems where you're in a hurry and you just don't have time to take care of them. And suppose you just ignored everything that was wrong. Suppose I would have came up here this morning with my bed head and with my five o'clock shadow. What does, that sh- what does that show us about ourselves? What does it show people about us? What if we, what if we ignored the problems that the mirror showed us? And we just went out in the public. Would people start to have a different opinion about us? They would think we were kind of careless and unkept, wouldn't they? Well, this morning, and what James is, is, is illustrating with this analogy is that the Word of God is like a mirror. And it exposes to us the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. As we look into the mirror of Scripture, it exposes our sinful hearts. It, it calls sin, sin. And that's the purpose of the written word of God, is to be that spiritual mirror for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. 
You see, Scripture shows us our ugly, self-centered attitudes. It It exposes our pride. It confronts our dislike or our hatred for other people and our lack of compassion for those people. It hits our sinful anger and our rotten speech. It uncovers our deception, our greed, and our lust. It also reminds us that God knows it all. We can't hide any of those things from God. Hebrew says that we're naked and exposed. How about that for an analogy? Our spiritual lives are naked and exposed before God. He sees every wretched part of of our humanity. Every wretched part of our sinfulness. We can't hide any of it from God. Even though sometimes we like to believe we can. But the fact is, if we just read the scripture, if we just listen to this sermon this morning, or whoever you may listen to on the radio or on the internet, if you just listen to those sermons, and you don't do anything to address the problems that it reveals, it's just like looking at the mirror in the morning, noticing all the problems and doing nothing about them. It won't do us any good. Well, how do we address the problems in our spiritual life? What does a doer do? What does it mean to be a doer? Well, often we think of all these works that we do. All these different things that that we need to do to appear to be a Christian. Well, as I dive deeper and deeper in this as to what we do as a doer, in the text that Galen read as a call to worship, it talked about repentance. And the first thing that a doer does is to repent. And to repent means to think differently. That's That's what it means to repent. To think differently. To change your thinking. The reality is, when we repent, when we have a repentant heart, we believe with God, we believe and we agree with God and not with the world, not with Satan. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. In chapter 26 of Acts, we're, we're jumping in right in the middle of Paul's defense to Agrippa. And he's just given the account of his Damascus Road experience where his miraculous conversion and he relates to Agrippa the mission that God has put upon, put upon his life he says but I declare to those first in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Remember, repentance is thinking differently. Their deeds are in keeping with their repentance. Their deeds are a result of the change of their mind, the change of their thinking. The reality is, if we think differently, we are going to act differently. And if we're not acting differently... We need to ask God to help us think differently. And the way He does that to start with, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He gives us a heart change. He puts His law upon our hearts as we talked about last week. And He makes that heart change. Then our thinking needs to change. That's where repentance comes in. That's where repentance... When we, when we start to think differently about why we do things or what we do or how we live. In Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 30... 
It says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who they killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God gave us his son. He sent him down to this earth to live, to be persecuted, to die, to be resurrected in victory and power over death. He gave us that gift. He allowed his son to have that suffering, to give us the gift, yes, of forgiveness. But this text also tells us that repentance is a gift. We will not have the power to change our minds, to change our thinking without the gift of grace, without the gift of Christ dying on that cross. That's the gift that God gave us in His Son. Repentance isn't something that we just have to bear down and do ourselves. God gives us the power to change our thinking. And it begins by changing our hearts. By accepting the salvation of Jesus Christ, the gift of Jesus Christ. The reality is when we just read Scripture and we ignore what God is exposing in our hearts through it, we are deceived. That's where the deception comes in. We allow ourselves to believe that our, and you've heard this old cliche, our stinking thinking is okay. We rationalize it. We justify it. We read the scripture. We don't really look at what it's trying to tell us. Looking at verse 26 in James chapter 1, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. And this word religion, this is the only place that's really used in the New Testament. And it's talking about the acts of worship, the the different disciplines that we can perform. We can read, we can listen to sermons, we can pray. If we just stop at that and don't allow it to penetrate into our hearts, it is worthless. It has no effect on our lives. It has no changing effect on us. You see, James, in this letter to to the Christian Jews. These were Christian Jews. These are people who grew up in the Jewish church. They knew the scriptures. They knew the things of God. They were taught, and he knew that. And what he was telling us, don't let it stop there. Just don't have a head full of knowledge. Don't just know what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. And if you're not doing it, all you have is this worthless religion. All it is is going through the motions and not accomplishing anything in your heart. You see, the reality this morning, brothers and sisters, is while being raised in the church is a beautiful blessing, if we don't check our hearts, it can give us a false hope. It can cause us to be deceived because we are trained in religion. We are trained to go through the motions. We are trained what we're supposed to do in appearance as far as what people can see if we don't allow it to penetrate our hearts. And that's why he was emphasizing this point to the, to the people, to these Jewish Christians. You know, we can observe hypocrisy within the church and we can justify our own actions while well, so-and-so is doing it and they profess to be a Christian, so it must be okay. Never mind that it's contrary to Scripture. What's the big deal? I mean, it's, it's acceptable. And that's what we, we can be lulled into believing if we don't continually ask God to search our hearts. The reality is these people, their consciences 
are seared. They're oblivious to what they've done. They've allowed themselves to be deceived, to justify their actions, even though they're contrary to Scripture. In Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That is the very state of being deceived. They profess to know God. They go through the motions, but their actions outside of the church building, outside of their Christian realm, quote-unquote, their Christian circles, their works do not illustrate the faith they proclaim to have. That's what James is drawing attention to. Don't just go through the motions. If you haven't repented, if you haven't had your thinking changed, your works will show it. And the works will not be there. Well, that's the deception. Now we want to look at the blessing. Looking at verse 25, James says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, not just the law, the perfect law. What made the law perfect? We know in Scripture that it says Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law. He fulfilled it. By grace, He fulfilled it. So that's why what James is talking about in the perfect law. And he calls it the law of liberty. When we look into the perfect law, the law that has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, it brings freedom to us. Freedom to live in Christ. Freedom to live in the power of the Holy Spirit by His grace. And then he goes on to say, and perseveres. That tells us that there's a reality that living on this earth and these bodies is not easy. It's not just something simple that we do. It requires perseverance. But it's when we allow the perfect law, when we allow the truth of God to penetrate our hearts, to change our minds, to produce fruit of the Spirit within our lives. That's how we persevere. And he goes on to say, being no hearer who forgets. And he's using that word forgets again. And he used it earlier in this text. I want to ask you this morning, what causes you to forget things? What causes us to forget things? Well, one thing is we can get too busy. And we can get too busy doing good things. That's one way that we can forget. We just have too many things on our plate. And that is the occasion sometimes. But sadly, the overwhelming majority of the time, the reason we forget, quote-unquote, is because we don't make things a priority in our lives. Are you making the things of God a priority in your life? The reality in our flesh, we often let our flesh, our fleshly desires, win out. Satan just keeps picking away at us, and we have a choice to make. It's our responsibility whether we choose the things of God or we believe the lies of Satan. But Satan will pick away and present things to tempt us, to draw us away. And it's, it's our failure to prioritize the things of God that causes us to forget. Those of you in here this morning who have children, you've witnessed this firsthand, I'm sure. You ask your child to go clean their room. 
An hour later, you're going to check on them, and they're still sitting in the middle of the mess playing with the toys. Guess what? Playing took greater priority over picking up the toys. You ask them, why do you pick up? Oh, I forgot you told me to. Because as soon as they walked in that room, the priority of, oh, this looks fun, overrode the priority of, oh, mom asked me to pick up my toys. See, we don't make the things of God a priority. And that's why we come up with the excuse of, I forgot. Or maybe I didn't have time. You didn't make time. You didn't take time. Doers don't forget because they make the things of God a priority. Now, none of us are perfect. So just call yourself a doer and say you never forget. You're wrong. Because you're not perfect. But it's working toward that goal. Working toward to be in Christ's image. And the reality of that image is that doers don't forget because they make the things of God a priority. But when we don't make the things of God a priority, we forget. We forget the goal. We forget the plan. And he goes on to say, but a doer who acts, he will what? He will be blessed in his doing. He won't be deceived. He will be blessed in his doing. What does he mean by blessed? In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46... He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do it is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, the blessing that is available to us when we are doers of the Word and not only hearers, is the power to persevere through trials and things that we face in this life. Sadly, in our humanity, often we are like the one who built his house without a foundation. Like the one who looks in the mirror and forgets what he saw. He saw the problems, but he fails to take care of them. The one who built his house on the ground with no foundation, he knew it needed a foundation, but he just didn't take the time to do it. We act religious. We go through the motions. And we do things out of duty rather than desire. When our works come from duty instead of a desire that's deep in our heart because of a heart change, because of the change of our thinking, it's evident. We go to church. We read our Bibles. But we go on sinning. We ignore what the Bible tells us. We read about sin. We, we read the verses about gossip. We read the verses about hatred and about dis- discord. We read the verses about drunkenness. We read the verses about sexual immorality. But we just read them and close our Bibles and go on doing what we want to do in our flesh. And we think everything's going to be okay. And sometimes we do feel a little twinge, so what do we do next time? We just skip those verses. 
And we only read the parts of the Bible that don't make us feel bad. The parts of the Bible that don't point the finger at something in our hearts. But then what happens when things go wrong in our lives? Going back to another statement from James, we have no power to what? To count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. And we don't understand why we don't have any power. We don't understand why we feel so weak, why we feel so broken, we feel so alone. Never mind that we didn't allow the things of God to penetrate our hearts and to change us. But we just can't figure out why we're struggling in this time. But when we repent, when our minds are truly changed, you know what? Our circumstances may not change. This life is still going to be hard. It's still going to be difficult. But our attitudes toward our circumstances will change and we will be able to count it all joy when we face those things. And the reality is when our attitudes change, many of our circumstances will improve. Because many of our difficult circumstances are because of strained relationships. Looking at verse 22, I know verse 27, he goes into a little more practical uh, description and he defines pure religion. He talks about pure religion being those who visit orphans and widows. And he goes on to say to keep yourself unstained from the world. Well, do, do we just need to do these two things? There's just a list of two things here. Is this just all we need to do? We need to go visit the orphans and the widows and then whatever it means to keep ourselves unstained from the world. We just need to do those things and we'll be okay. No, this is just an illustration. This is just to get our minds thinking about the attitude of our heart that we need to look toward. Look at the focus of the two things that James is listing about going to visit widows and orphans and keeping our hearts pure from the things of the world. These are selfless acts. It's it's pointing to the fact that we shouldn't make life about what we want. We should make life about serving others and sacrificing what we want. Not for just the point of sacrificing, but understanding that it's not about us. He's telling us, don't indulge in the things of the world. Don't be so selfish and and allow your flesh to drive you. Recognize when you're being driven by your flesh. Recognize when you're being driven by the temptations of this world and the self-serving nature of them. And he says, if you do this, if you focus on others and not yourself, you will be blessed. You will be blessed with power to overcome, power to face circumstances, the challenges of this world. Again, the challenges won't go away. The hurt won't go away of losing loved ones, of watching loved ones suffer or suffering yourself. That reality of that hurt is still going to be there, but God will give you a peace to carry you through it and to know that He is the one that you are to trust in. Well, how, how do you do that? How do you turn it away from yourself? Read the Word. Study the Word. Understand the nature of God. Pray for a desire to understand the gospel. Pray for a desire to understand what it means to have a changed heart. What it means to have a repentant heart. What it means to be empowered by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Pray for an understanding of that. And pray for a surrendered heart. Pray the prayer, God, whatever it takes to break my heart. To turn my heart from my own selfish desires to the things of you. To serve others. To be a servant. Pray for that. You can't just bear down and do it. You've heard me say that over and over. It's the power of God that changes you. 
But it's to recognize the fact that you need to change is where it begins. And then be prepared to change. Because when you truly ask God to change you and you surrender to that fact, things are going to change and it's going to get a little bumpy. You're not going to understand. Things aren't going to be as familiar to you there. You're going to have to give up some things that you just thought were normal. That you were just used to. It may be friends. It may be your job. It may be your things. There may be some sacrifices that God is calling you to make because He knows the change that it's going to continue to bring forward and the growth that's going to bring forward in your heart. So be prepared to change. When you've turned and surrendered your life to God, be prepared for things to change. I ask you this morning, are you deceived? Are you ignoring the things that God is pointing out in your heart? Are you just driving on and, yeah, that's sin, but it doesn't matter if I'm doing it or not. Are you deceived? Are you allowing the things of Scripture, the things of God, to to pierce your heart, to purge your heart? Do you just read the Scripture and forget what's in it? Do you read the Scripture and ignore what it means to be in the image of Christ? What's at the top of your priority list this morning? What are you focusing on? I ask you this morning, is your religious worthless? Is your religion worthless? Are you just going through the motions and then going out and acting like the world? I pray that you are allowing the words of Scripture, that you're allowing the very nature of God to pierce your hearts, to cleanse you, to expose the sinfulness of your heart, and that you're taking those sinful tendencies, those sinful acts, you're taking them to God and saying, God, this isn't right. I want this to change. Please change it in me. And I promise you that you will be empowered to face the trials of this world. The trials won't go away. But your attitude toward them will. And it's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful place of rest to be. And I encourage you this morning to be doers of the word and not hearers only. To act on the changed heart. To allow your thinking to be changed. And then for the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit to flow out of you by that change, not by your own effort effort or your own abilities, but by the nature of God overflowing from your heart. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God. I praise you, God, for this text. I praise you for this truth, Lord. God, I thank you for the power that you give us to be doers, not for our own glory, not for our own honor, but for the power to overcome the influence of Satan. Lord, he wants to deceive us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to crush us. He doesn't want us to realize the freedom, the peace, the joy that is available, Lord, when we have surrendered lives to you. Yes, Lord, we'll have to sacrifice the pleasures of this world. But when we truly have reached that point and let those things go, Lord, we will truly see how ridiculous those pleasures are in light of eternity, how worthless they are, Lord. God, help our religion not to be a worthless religion. Help our religion to be a means to a deeper and more beautiful relationship with you, Father, that we can stand firmly on, that we can build our house on. And when the, when the creek rises, when the floods come, Lord, that our house will stand, our spiritual house will stand, Lord. Thank you for that gift, Father. 
praise you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.